Mythos. This is episode three, and I'm your host, Jacob Gantz. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I've got Bradley Skinner with me today, and actually Bradley has offered to let me use his studio today because we're both in the, the institution we teach at, so I'm pretty excited. He's got a, a much better setup. I'm kind of jealous at him looking over here at the desk, but uh, we've got a couple aspects of uh, well, revolving around the te teacher shortage that we wanted to look at. Um, I don't know about Brad, but I don't even like to call it a teacher shortage because I don't think that's what it's what it really is. But we're going to explore what that looks like from our perspective as teachers, and we're going to look at maybe how we can change that from the inside. But let me first introduce Bradley Skinner. Brad is a former administrator and a theater teacher and a director by trade. He was the Wyoming Theater Teacher of the Year for 2018 and is the current Teacher of the Year for, this, for his district. Just this past summer, he was selected by the Jostens Company as their National Educator of the Year. Brad is a man of many hats. On the weekends, he goes by the name Phony Stark, and I'm going to let him, uh, I'm going to let you go to his website to discover why that is if he doesn't, uh, doesn't tell us that here today. Brad's an amazing teacher. I've gotten to to watch that and observe that this year. Uh, he's an ex expert in school culture. He's an author, a playwright, an educational speaker, motivator, and thought leader, and really just an all-around great guy to know. So welcome, Brad, even though I'm saying that in your studio. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I've been a fan of uh, the podcast and what you've been putting out and I'm excited to be able to share some insight and add a little to that. So thanks for having me. Awesome. We're happy to have you. So before we jump in, um, I would love for you to just tell us a little about you and your background and um, where you come from. Great. You know what? I'm going to start off by first saying that I'm a failure. That's what <laughs> I am. I fail. I fail with relish. And I think that's because of the amount of failures that I've had and the difficulties that I've faced, it's led me to a point where I am able to be successful today. I think that's an important aspect for uh, education that, you know, we don't always have to be the smartest person in the room. We don't always have to have all the right answers. And sometimes it's okay. We might make mistakes. And I think our students need to understand that that's part of life. And so that's, that's how I approach my teaching. That's how I approach directing. Um, and uh, I've, I've failed a lot. And it's led me to where I am today. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> Absolutely. That's an awesome outlook. Uh, so let, we're going to just jump right in here. And Let's do it. Brad and I are pretty informal. So uh, we're going to just go through these here. And um, through our conversations uh, together, we've discovered that, that we really look at education, uh, the time in the classroom. Uh, we're both performing artists. We really look at a lot of things the same way. Uh, and we've noticed that through conversations and working together, and we're, we're pursuing the same passion. So I, I'm really excited to have Brad and, and, and talk through this. So um, most, of, most of the things that, that we agree on or have talked about have to do with educational leadership and improving schools and changing the lives of kids. And I think it's safe to say we're both pretty, pretty passionate about that. That's Absolutely. Kind of teachers. Um, I, our subject today, as I said before, was the teacher shortage. And I mentioned that I don't believe it is a teacher shortage. And Brad gave me a thumbs up across the room. So I would want—I just want to—I want to attack that right there. <laughs> Let's do it. Why isn't it a teacher shortage? Well, I th uh, here, here's my reason why. If, if you go out and you ask ten superintendents from across the country and ask them, tell us about the teacher shortage, 
you're going to get 10 different responses. They're all going to view it different. One area is going to say that we don't have enough teachers. Another superintendent is going to tell you that there's not enough college uh, individuals who are going into the education field. Another one's going to say, hey, teachers are okay. We don't have enough substitutes. And another one's going to tell you that, you know what, uh, it, it's fine. We just don't have the highly qualified ones, but we've got a lot of others that can fill the spots. So you're going to get 10 different answers, and none of them are, in my opinion, are actually right. right. If I go down to my grocery store and they have neglected to order in zucchini, <laughs> and I go in and I ask them, can I have some zucchini? And they say, we're out. That does not mean there is a zucchini shortage in the country. <laughs> it means someone has failed to do their job. Right. Teachers are the exact same. If we're going to say that there really aren't enough qualified people to teach in America right now, I don't believe that's true. I think that the problem is, is that the desire, the will to continue with teaching, the, the, to fulfill that order is not there. And I think that's part of the problem. I can't go into, uh, and, and I should have uh, looked, I, uh, I had a, a great quote. I, I believe it was Peter Green uh, who said, I can't go into a Porsche dealership and buy a car for $1.98. That doesn't mean that there is an automobile shortage. And I think teachers, we're kind of dealing with that same aspect, that the the expectation of all of this that we're supposed to do is overwhelming the desire to continue doing it. So it's not necessarily the teacher shortage of those applying for jobs. I really see the biggest issue is the amount of teachers that are leaving once they already started. Right. That's the problem. I believe the, the last statistic I, said, I saw or heard was every first-year teacher will leave or 50% or, or so right now of of teachers will leave in the first five years. And that's there. that's rough. Yeah, that's really that's, rough. That's an insane amount. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to go through, and, and I think all of Brad's points are valid. We're going to we're going to look at uh, Brad and I. Maybe what we can do as teachers who see this every day. Uh, we're also going to look at um, maybe what we as teachers ought to encourage our leaders to do, and then uh, we're going to look at perhaps changing the perspective of students who might consider teaching in the future. Um, I think it's important to look at what they're going into the profession with and what are they thinking this is going to look like. So, um, I, But I want to hit on, and, and my first question would, for the, besides that, the opening would be, what do you see or hear about as the main reason teachers are leaving the profession? Because you said, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're coming, but they're not staying. I think that's a great uh, aspect, and, and this is going to be one that easily uh, we're going to have some listeners that are probably going to disagree with us. You might have some that do agree, and that's part of the problem is the divided factions of these reasonings, and a lot of it comes from the data that's being released um, in the fact that some of them, we do one study, they do a poll, and they go through and they talk to teachers, and then another group conducts the exact same poll with another group of teachers across the country, and they're totally different results. And then the reporting of those are also inaccurate. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so as we're going to be talking about this, I think it's important to understand that there's inconsistencies in the data. And that's fine because that's, you know, it's not everybody. Um, and, and here's how I see it. When we look at it, a lot of the times we're getting reports that are saying the number one reason that teachers leave is money. Okay. 
Well, when they say that, we immediately go teacher pay. Right. We associate money with teacher pay. However, the way that some of these polls and these surveys have been sent out, when it comes to money, many of the teachers are not talking about teacher pay. They're talking about school funding. Right. But then they're wrapping it up into this ball of money is the problem. Well, yeah, for schools that are being underfunded, they're not providing students with, with equitable resources. Of course, that money is an issue. But then to say that that reason is the same reason as teacher pay is a fallacy. Right. And, and the fact that a lot of these polls are now bunching these together and saying money is the issue, and then the media takes that and says teacher pay is the number one reason why they leave. And that is not necessarily true. Right. Um, and, and, and that's an issue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you've taught. Where have you taught, Brad? Uh, so I've taught in both uh, Utah, Nevada, and now Wyoming. Okay, so before before coming to Wyoming, uh, like me, I just came from Colorado, but I started my career in Wyoming. What did you see a dynamic shift uh, in the way that looks? All of those aspects you were just talking about, from Colorado to Nevada to Wyoming. I mean, we know that Wyoming is one of the top paid mm-hmm. teacher states, in the, it's second only to Alaska, but their cost of living kind of knocks that off. Mm-hmm. So. Do you see that? Did you see differences from Utah to Nevada to Wyoming, and and what were those between teachers? You know, what caused yeah, that? Th- I think changes? there's there's definitely differences, and uh, a lot of it is uh, if we're going to say identifying immediately, the quick three are going to be suburban, urban, rural. Right. And when we look at um, these surveys that are done, they're talking about why teachers leave. Well, uh, more of them, when we look at the majority, down in the south is where more teachers with teacher pay had issues. Right. Whereas in the west, teacher pay wasn't the issue. And then also in the north, where we had uh, far more uh, urban schools, it was the school funding was the issue. Right. So we're looking at the, all these totally different regions. And when we look at those regions and we look at the urban and the rural and the suburban areas, well, we see totally different data across the whole board. Uh, there's... In, in rural areas, there's hardly any teacher shortage, right? Because it's easy to get a job. You're a you're a, a big fish in a small pool, right? But in urban areas, especially in lower funded areas, they just don't have enough teachers applying because a lot of them aren't applying for those jobs. It's not the teachers aren't there; they're applying other places in other states, right. and and so those those are big differences in what's able to happen in an urban versus a rural area or a suburban area versus rural. And and so those big differences that we're seeing, Wyoming is almost, you know, pr- is pretty predominantly a rural state. Right. And the teachers that we have, we're getting some high-quality teachers that want to live here, that want to educate and want to raise their kids. And that's a totally different scenario. And when we bunch those into the same basic general categorical areas as an urban demographic – it's not going to be telling you the true story. Right. And I think that's definitely uh, a, a major concern. But, man, it's so easy just to wrap all education into mm-hmm. one big basket and throw it down the street. Right. So when my wife and I moved here, we noticed, well, we felt like it was either you worked for the school district or you worked in the mines. That, w- that was one thing that we noticed right away. Mm-hmm. Um, along those lines, did you notice, and, and I'm asking this because I did, but I want to get your perspective. Mm-hmm. The difference between student perception of teaching, um, and and the school climate, how did those differ from from the 
from the from Wyoming to Nevada to, to Utah? What did you see? Did that affect the, the teacher shortage at all? I, I think so, because a lot of it, it when it comes into, and we really, I, I think when we really dive into the data and we really look at those common denominators, it's going to come down to, and again, this is still very opinion-based, but it's me mm-hmm. looking at the data that yep. we see, but it still comes down to the what I see as the number one issue, the one common denominator of all these other factors that are people are saying why we leave or why they don't go into education, and it comes down to respect. So if you're not getting paid what you are actually worth and earning and doing, because some people don't actually understand just how much work teachers do, well, that lack of pay is a lack of respect. The lack of support from administration is another main reason why teachers leave, because that's a lack of respect. They don't respect what the teachers are doing. Um, We also then look at uh, the government in not taking teachers' input. The professionals who were hired to do the job are not having an input or control over teaching decisions. That's a lack of respect. Testing and accountability pressures, lack of respect. Um, Overall dissatisfaction with the teaching career because they feel they're not being respected. And then just, I think the last part would just simply be then just an unhappiness with various working conditions. Um, but those majority, the main five factors of why teachers have stated why they leave the profession all come down to the common denominator of a lack of respect. Right. I, I couldn't disagree with you. Yeah. Um, I think as teachers, we watch this happen. I know I've read and heard stories that I can relate with. A new, cer- a new story comes around every month or every couple months about a teacher who's left the profession. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they write a, an article and we all see it. And we're like, yeah, that, yep, I can relate. And we're aware of it, uh, and and some of us have have even experienced it in some form. You know, I saw a meme on board teachers the other day. It was like, if you're in the minority, if you've never been one of those teachers that that went into a search engine and and wrote in, what can I do with an education degree that's not that's not teaching? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we we talked about one of the big issues is pay, and you lumped that in with with the, the demographic and the, the talk about um, funding and, and the lack of ref- respect. We live in a place, as I said before, low cost of living and fairly high teacher salaries comparatively. Um, I'm curious about, and since you've been here a little longer than I have back in the state, do you see um, that particular problem here? I mean, the money as far as teacher pay doesn't seem to be a thing in Green River, at least from my perspective, because mm-hmm. I came here. So, where are, do you are you seeing the problem here? And if it's not the pay, then what is it? Besi- uh, besides, you know what we've already talked yeah, about. Yeah. So I don't I don't think it's so much uh, the pay. I uh, I know that uh, recently a, a Gallup poll uh, that I read said that fifty two percent of educators currently that they did poll uh, have have considered leaving the career mm-hmm. field. That's that's a lot, more right. than half. And I think it was that 49% are actually currently and actively looking for another job. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily feel that pressure here. Right. I mean, granted, I, d- I do other things. I have a side hustle because I right. like what I do. Like you mentioned, uh, Phony Stark. So that's so <laughs> it, it's something that I enjoy. It's not because I have to to keep mm-hmm. afloat. It's because I enjoy it. Right. Um, the, the other aspect of it, I think, is... Um, as, as to what those issues are or why. Um, and, and luckily, why I, did, I chose to stay here in Wyoming is because I believe we do have 
great support system with mm -hmm. our uh, with education. I've had uh, this last summer. I actually had a chance uh, in in Washington to sit down with both of our, our state senators um, and and to talk to them about education and funding specifically for the arts. Right. And to hear their support mm -hmm. was was great. I mean, they're not hey we can't we can't do that. They were both very forthcoming. They're saying yes, we value education in our state. We support it, and we're going to keep fighting for it. And, and that was good. That was great right. to hear. And I like that we have that in our state, that we do have that support, because not all states are like that. I mean, we look at over the last nine years, teachers were, they couldn't get out of Arizona fast enough. Right. I mean, they were just flooding out of Arizona. Oklahoma was another one was having some issues. Um, man, Alabama, there, there were a lot of schools that just didn't have people staying. Mm -hmm. And, and that was devastating. And not just devastating for those teachers, for their career, for their field, but most importantly for their students. Because right. when you leave, when you lose a good teacher, that is so damaging to those kids right. that, that they don't have that opportunity anymore. They're missing out. And plus the school districts are, I don't think people understand, when you have a veteran teacher that leaves the career field, how much money it costs to replace them. We think, oh, right. you just hire the next teacher. They're, they're cheaper. They're cheaper, yeah. It should be easier. Well, the training on top mm -hmm. of what you're paying that new teacher. I mean, that's any district is spending roughly $22,000 just to get a new teacher. That's right. that's expensive. Right. And it's and it and most importantly it just it hurts kids. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um so you we've kind of we've kind of hit on the economic aspect of it. So what do you see as uh, maybe government or state government or big picture issues that are that are pushing teachers out? Oh, goodness. I mean, I know you've touched on the we've, we're surface level. Let's dig a little deeper. I'll, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll say testing right now. Right. Testing is going to be the biggest one that if you're going to say that the only quality that a teacher has is making sure that students pass tests, you right. are missing the boat in why we have education. Right. I am. Uh, my, my last podcast that I did, I had four former students on there. And we t they talked about how all of them are very successful in what they're doing right now in their careers, and all four of them did not test well. Right. They weren't good testers. They didn't do well on standardized tests. Right. But what they are is they're quality human beings. They're great people. They're loving husbands, and they're fantastic fathers. That's right. what I care about. I want to know that when kid leaves my classroom, that they're going to be a valuable member of society. I don't care how well they necessarily did on a test. Is it right. great? Sure. Is it a predictor of how successful they're going to be or how decent of a human being they're going to be? 100% no. Right. Yeah. Um, you know what? I've, I, I was just thinking about this. I saw a, and I can't remember, I should have pulled all these in the, and put them in my, my script, but the, it was a, a gentleman who talked about law school and MCATs and um, LSATs, and you could be a teacher and pass the praxis. You can be a, a lawyer and, and pass the, the bar, all of these things where we get to the end of our education at college and you can retake and retake and retake bus drivers, driving, li driving licenses. You can retake them for full credit, but you cannot, but, but your scores on your YTOP or your whatever those are, you know, high the state, te yeah, high state tests. Darn you, damn you for, yep. for the immediate future. Yep. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's just insane to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, so 
state level, government level, let's look at schools and districts themselves. The, the, the things that are happening, I mean, we do high stakes testing because we have to. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are a lot of district level administrators that would say, yeah, let's not do those. Uh, not all, but some. Um, but what else outside of testing that's mandated by the state and the government? What, what do we see at a local level in our districts that, that's contributing to that? Huh, that's a great question. Because I think it's important that we look at this at every level. Otherwise, right. just like the, um, just like those polls that are lumping urban and suburban and and rural all together, I think we need to look at it systemically mm -hmm. as educational leaders too. True, um, and and that's that's one of those things where I mean we see that so much you know where it is coming down from from national level and right there I'm going to say is probably one of our biggest issues though is the fact that. Right now, we have a secretary of education that knows nothing about education. So, yep, I said it. I have no problem saying it. It was a terrible, terrible choice. Right. Um, and as much as I love that our state senators uh, support education, I had words with both of them uh, about the fact that they were going against their constituents here in the state and did decide to support and, and put in uh, Betsy DeVos, who is an absolute train wreck when it comes to trying to remotely do anything based on education, where she clearly has stated that her agenda is fully that public education needs a, needs to end. Mm -hmm. And that, and you know what? And I'm, I'm against everything that she stands for and represents. So right there is our, our big problem. <laughs> but then as we move down to, to the state level, I think we're a little better. Uh -huh. And locally, uh, I think we are specifically are, are fortunate and we're blessed with some pretty amazing educational leaders in our area and I think they're very supportive but I think they also know that a lot of the stuff that they, they know they're, they're handcuffed they're handcuffed uh -huh. to a lot of what we have to do even though they may not like it even you know it may not necessarily be best practices they, they do what they have to do because that's what they're told that we have to do and that, I think that's un, you know it is somewhat unfortunate but you operate under the best practices of what you can do yeah and hope you help as many students as possible within that framework. Yeah, absolutely. So I think as educational leaders, teacher leaders, department heads, veteran teachers, and administrators, it's becoming critical that we jump in. Um, and that's kind of why I was thinking about this, because we talk about the teacher shortage and the, the challenges for teachers, but a lot of us feel powerless. Um, I know when I look at the teacher shortage, the number of of jobs open every year versus that when I started 10 years ago uh, is a much more. I mean, you start seeing them even now. I looked on the, the Wyoming Department of um, or the Wyoming School Board site and they're just they're just stacking up. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I, my starting place was our leaders, meaning state and federal agencies aren't doing enough to change the culture. And and then I look at some districts around the U.S., as you were talking earlier, and, and leaders in those districts and wonder how they can enact the policies that they do. You know, we've all been in a in a district where a lot of us have where we're like, this is just not, you know, it's the policy in the district that's just that's just killing us. Yep. But until recently, I didn't view it as a pro as my problem. Quite honestly, I didn't see as a teacher how. I was supposed to even dig into this problem. But I think teachers who are working every day in the classroom have plenty to they have plenty of room to work on this. And I and I um I think that's important that we start that conversation. Yeah. Um we may need to pull some extra weight and those of us who can work toward that that should. Um 
So where do we start um, if we aren't in a position necessarily? We don't see ourselves in a leadership position. Where do we start to change this as as teachers? Where do we? I think even if it's not a leadership position, it can still be a management position. Now, I don't want to say, I mean, I'm a big fan of the difference between management and leadership. Mm-hmm. Anybody can be a leader. Um, but we can still put in some practices, even on this small level, that help manage the day-to-day routines, especially when you have new teachers. Talk to your new teachers. Befriend your new teachers. Let them know that you're a support system for them. Because if they feel like they are in their classroom and that is all they have, that's that's where they you, you lose them. Mm-hmm. Too many teachers, they just feel alone. Right. They feel that they don't have a voice. They feel they don't have a, uh, a champion. They don't have a confidant. They don't have a friend. So talk to your new teachers. Have an open-door policy. Let them know that, man, I can, I'm always here. Check in on them. Take a walk during your prep hour and just drop in and see how things are going. I mm-hmm. mean, that's easy stuff we can do. Um, and then I think for, for building uh, leaders, when it comes with those new teachers, is you've got to have, got to have some grace, man. Mm-hmm. Let them know. Just as I said earlier, let them know it's okay to make mistakes. Right. Um, I, I made a ton of mistakes. I still make mistakes because I'm still trying things. Anybody that's not making a mistake as a teacher, I think, is too either either too set in their routines, or they're too afraid to do something new and make a and risk something. Right. Um, so give them some latitude. Let them know it's okay. One of my best principals I've ever worked with had such a unique approach to dealing with new teachers, and I was new in his building, and and his whole thing was, and the way I always compared it and describe it is, it was like my my driver's ed teacher mm-hmm. when when I was in high school that. I had to drive. I was still operating. I was still controlling where that vehicle went. And if I got going a little bit too fast, he had that extra brake on the side that he could pump that brake and just slow <laughs> things down. But it was still, he was letting me take control. Right. I took the wheel. And he was just there to, to, to guide, to direct, to encourage, to give me feedback, and then just slow things down if it was necessary. Right. And. I think that's that was a great leadership quality that I love and I still admire to this day. And I think that, that needs to happen. So those new teachers, and we, I think, as, as other educators, we can help with that. Just give them those support, stand by them, you know, respect them, and, and help create and foster that environment so they know that they're cared about. Absolutely. I think um, somebody once, I, I heard somebody say, teaching is an extremely lonely profession, or can be. Can be. If it's, if it's not, um, if people are, you know, we don't think about it. I... I'm in the office all the time because if I stay in the classroom, I'll go, I'll go nuts without, without <laughs> seeing other adults. And it's not because of the kids, but I found early on, my first position was in a, you know, in an art swing, and I didn't see anybody for four to six hours at a time, and, and that's just how teaching is in some in some aspects. But, but I, I now I take a walk every time every chance I get. I even I'm sure, our our office staff is is um, like pulling their hair out sometimes, but I just walk through the office. Um, so I'm sure they're wondering why I'm up there. Um, so let's talk about if, if we get to that point, right? We see colleagues, and, and I've known three or four of them in my short career. Do we try to counsel them out of it? I mean, what do we say to them that, that I mean, what can we offer them? Um, I know my passion is, is for, for staying in the classroom and improving and changing lives, but mm-hmm. I've thought about it. So if your passion and what, your, what you believe your calling is is teaching, uh, I mean, how do we even begin to to pull them back from well, that? I think it certainly process? has to begin far before they've ever got to that point. Right. If you if you haven't if you got new teachers 
and they're considering leaving, we've already missed our shot. Uh, I think it's still possible. We can still save them, still bring things back. We can still, you know, still help kids. Um, but I think, I think it's it's too late. Uh, it, that we've missed opportunities that we shouldn't have missed. Um, I think one is leadership opportunities itself. What are we doing to help? You know, do some creative things for teachers that are putting them into leadership roles early in their teaching. Right. So it's not just teaching. It's that they're seeing that they're doing a little bit more that they're making a difference immediately and impacting your school culture and climate. If we just let them sit in their room quietly and it's like, you don't, you shouldn't be seen, shouldn't be heard, just teach and leave it alone. That's a super disservice to our students' learning environment and to our teachers. And the other question I have is how many schools have a mentoring program? Uh, not From a lot that I've been in, they don't. Right. But the ones that do, they're highly successful and they have a higher teacher retention rate because right. you're putting in that mentor that's working successfully with that teacher. Now, when I say a mentor program, I'm not talking about these cookie-cutter mentor programs where they're like, oh, here you go. You have, you're assigned a teacher, and that teacher's going to help you. I had a mentor once, and that teacher, all they did is teach me how to use the copier. That was worthless. Right. Like, they didn't mentor me on anything. It was just simply, here's some business things. Here's what you need to take care of. Here's a form you need to fill out. Okay, well, what about when I actually need some mental support some emotional support where's mm -hmm. my mentor for that where's that mentor when i'm struggling and i have no clue what i'm supposed to do you know wh what about those things that happen in a teaching uh, environment that no book that you ever read prepared you for that no class ever prepared you for what do you do then where's my mentor then and i mean my, my very first year of teaching my very first month i'm in my second week as a classroom teacher as a <laughs> professional and i didn't have a mentor and I'm going about my day when all of a sudden I get news that a plane had just flown into the World Trade Center. What class prepared me for that moment? What book that I studied in college prepared me for that? What professor gave me any side of insight whatsoever on preparing for how you deal with students in that moment? Mm -hmm. And that's when I could have really used a mentor because I had absolutely no clue what I was supposed to do. Absolutely. I mean, we all remember that day, particularly I was a sophomore. I can't I, I'm thankful that I missed that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't imagine the trauma that we would have as teachers would have had to deal with that day. Um, but it does highlight the like it's not always going to be hunky dory. I mean, yeah, we have our we our own challenges just mm -hmm. in a regular classroom. So when you have I mean, teen suicides on the rise, what yeah. do you do if you don't have a teacher trained for that, I mean, I was in an institution at one point, and I, and I reported four times in the first semester. And that was versus all the other times. That was more than all the other times combined that I'd been in. It's a good thing that I'd done it before, but I didn't know. Um, and I hadn't had a mentor. So yeah. that's a really great point. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. So I think that, you know, that, so the mentor, leadership, mentoring programs, and I think just really working on overall improving the work environment mm -hmm. is going to help teacher retention. Um, making sure, you know, if you're, if you're a school leader, if you've got a great teacher, are they actually teaching what they are, what they should be teaching? Right. I think so many times we've got, oh, you're a, you're a teacher, you have a certificate, you're a warm body, go ahead and teach this subject. Even if it's not their expertise and they right. don't know what they're doing. Get people where they're going to be most successful. We often use, it's overused and it's oversimplified where we say we're doing what's best for kids when a lot of time what we're really saying is we're doing what's convenient for leadership. Right. And that is not the same thing. Doing what's best for kids is making sure that you have the best qualified teacher 
teaching that subject matter in your building to give those kids the best advantage that they possibly can have. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So I haven't worked much towards this end, but um, I've certainly noticed that there are less students in a classroom um, than there were that than, than there were 10 years ago when I started who say I want to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple times I've, I've come across a conversation where I'm like, oh, you should be a teacher. And they're like, no, no. <laughs> I know where you guys are at right now. Um, <laughs> teaching was one of the more, I think, co- I, at least I felt and heard, common professions that kids wanted. When I started teaching high right. school 10 years ago, you ask a group of five and at least one of them wants to be a teacher. Have you noticed a downturn in kids wanting to be teachers? Have you noticed that? I have, but on the flip side of that, those te- those students who do want to become teachers are far better prepared and are better at that point than I ever was. Yes. And I'm seeing that the quality of those kids are incredible. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited. We have we have a student teacher in our building right now uh, working with, uh, with Coach Harder. And she's one of my former students uh, from when I taught at Rock Springs. Mm-hmm. And I knew from when I first met her that she would be an incredible educator. And I'm so glad that she is pursuing that because she's just amazing. She's, right. she's absolutely amazing. Um, one of my former schools where I taught at, one of my former students is now the theater director at that school. So he went through the program, he then went to college, and he came back and is now, and he is just, he's crushing it. That's got to be an awesome so feeling. Good. Yeah. That was a great feeling. I love <laughs> it. So sharing in those successes, because I'm seeing him where, you know, he was this student uh, that I was, you know, helping mold on stage. And now I see that he's taking it even to another level and is now educating, taking all the things he learned plus what I shared with him and now giving that to his kids. And they are just, they're, they're amazing. He's right. such a great teacher. So I guess that's a, that's a positive aspect. There's, I mean, of fewer teacher, of, of fewer high school kids wanting to go into that profession, but those who are, aren't know what it's about and know what it's going to, what it's going to take and have seen the challenges and are still, are still gung ho for I it. I mean, it's because they know they can go in and make a difference. Right. It's not just about, they see that it's not just about teaching. It's not, oh, I love math. I want to teach math. Or, oh, I love this. I want. They go into it knowing that they love that subject and they have a passion for it, but they're going to make a difference in kids' lives to give them a better chance at the next level. Right. So when I started, when I was in my senior year of college, um, I actually approached this with my, with the director of the program because at one point in my education, I thought, oh, well, my part of my job should be to recruit more music teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, she had a philosophy uh, that, um, and music education, I think, was ranked number three, the, the third hardest um, education program to get, or the third hard, hardest profession to go into at that time when I graduated in 2004 because um, of all the theory and the, the classes that were one credit hour. So it just took so much time. A lot of times that we were five-year students. And I mentioned something along those lines to her, and she's like, don't you dare go into your classroom to try to recruit kids to be teachers because they love theater teachers. They love music teachers. You know, teachers, uh, arts teachers, the kids re- go really close with. You know, you have a, lot, a large following when, you, when you're a good teacher and you're an arts teacher. And she said 50 to 70% of those will drop out because they thought they were going to become you and they were just following you because... So along those lines, should we, and, and this isn't just for arts teachers, but should we as teachers be, be proactive about um, 
helping students find that calling to be teachers? I mean, is that something we should even be looking at? Maybe. Uh, and, and, and see, I, I, I'm a little divisive on that because uh, for me, I personally believe that what we need to be doing as teachers is being proactive and helping kids follow their passion, right. regardless of where that leads them. If they're following that passion, we, you know, we always ask kids, you know, even at a young age, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> and, you know, they have no idea. I think, uh, you know, cowboy astronaut was what I wanted to be when I was a kid. And I was disappointed when I found out that wasn't a real thing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I think if we're saying, what are you passionate about? Right. And then you find a career that allows you to do that. That's the angle. We kind of, we kind of go about it backwards. Right. Um, because if someone asked me, when a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I, I wouldn't have ever said a teacher. It wasn't even on my radar. But what I was passionate about, the two great loves of my life are my wife, Melissa, and theater. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was doing professional theater. I was traveling. I was, I was, you know, I was looking at a career that was taking me all over the country. It was very unstable. And it took me away from it. So I had the one passion, theater. But then it's taken me away from my other passion and my my wife. So that's when I turned to theater education because I could still have the family that I wanted, the time that I wanted with my wife, and I could still teach others about the passion of theater and allow them to find that love and to and to pursue it. Um, so once it wasn't about you know what I want to be when I grow up. It was what is important to me and what job or career fits into that importance. And so those two passions met with theater education. And so I think whatever we're doing with our kids, as long as we're helping them pursue that passion and to do what they love and to find a career that works with that, that's when I think we find those students that realize that education does fulfill that for them. And those are the kids that we need to keep working with and to say, hey, I know what you want to do with your life. I know what you care about. Have you thought about music education? Have you thought about theater education? Have you thought about being a band teacher? Have you thought about vocal coaching, you know, whatever it might be, right. that once we find that passion, then we help them pursue it. And if it leads them to, to education, all the better. Fantastic. Yeah, I like that answer much more than me trying to lead you into encouraging kids to be teachers. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So um, that's that's really all the questions I have. But I wanted to, um, to give you an opportunity, Brad, to talk about. So um, I said it at the beginning, but Brad's an educational speaker. Um, uh, he, this just this a couple months ago, he he was the keynote speaker at the the Wyoming Thespian Conference in Laramie, was it Laramie? Mm -hmm. um, and he gave I watched that the recording of that, and he's a fantastic speaker. Um, but he also has a story that he tells um, about some of his past, and I if he doesn't want to go into it, I don't want to pressure him into it. But um, I believe it's from from pizza delivery guy to keynote speaker right that is true would you give us a little bit of surface if you want to go into it you can if if you don't no, if you i think, give I think a it's a great opportunity we've been talking so much about teachers you know leaving education exactly. and, and we've been talking about what we need to do to retain them and i think the reason that's important is because i lived it mm -hmm. i've been there uh, i was part of that 52 uh, percent that considered leaving education and it finally reached a point where i questioned my own effectiveness i truly questioned on was I even fit to be a teacher? Mm -hmm. I think one of the, you know, we look at kids today that they play slug bug. And why is that such an easy thing to do? Because they're always looking for it. Right. Well, when positivity in your educational climate 
finally deteriorates and starts to fall away and it's just then all you're looking for is the negativity, mm -hmm. it's really easy to find it. Okay. And it got to a point where my physical health uh, was, was in jeopardy, my mental health was at an all-time low, uh, emotionally, spiritually, everything was just in such chaos and my level of self-doubt got to a point where I knew that I couldn't continue on that path. Mm -hmm. And it was devastating to me that I, that I left education. I just like, I couldn't do it anymore. And I left. I really didn't know if teaching was what I was really called. I used to think of it as a calling. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe I misjudged that calling. And I left education. And I had identified so much of myself with who I was as a teacher that when I stopped being a teacher, I didn't know who I was anymore. And it was, it was devastating. It was heartbreaking. Um, and so what happened was I had no job. We lost our house. And my family, with three, uh, other than my wife, obviously the most important thing in my life is, uh, is my three little girls. Mm -hmm. and, and we were on the streets. We were homeless and had nowhere to go and didn't know what to do. And by the, the, the grace of God, we were put in the path of some incredible people. We had a family who uh, had had lost uh, their, their mom. She had passed away, and they didn't know what to do with their house. And they said, hey, you know what? Until we figure out what we're doing with their home, why don't you guys come and stay there? And so we had a place to live. We had a roof over our head. And then it was a former student who called me up and said, hey, Mr. Skinner, why don't you come and work for me? And he ran a, he ran a pizza place. <laughs> So imagine how humbling of an experience that is for a, a teacher to now be jobless, homeless, but I wasn't hopeless. Mm -hmm. And that ray of hope was there when this student said, I want you to come and work for me because I know who you are. Right. I know what you believe in. I know what you stand for. And I want that in my, my place of business. Right. And that, that ray of hope that, that he gave me brought me out of that darkness that I was in and it's still as terrible as it was that I was I was a pizza delivery driver and you know I, uh, during that time uh, I ended up uh, uh, reading uh, everybody anybody that's you know knows anything about Utah and knows the Utah jazz <laughs> that the one of their greatest defenders uh, was Mark Eaton and I was reading about Mark Eaton and I didn't I always assumed as a kid growing up that Mark Eaton was just this all-star basketball player defensive player of the year he was just amazing and I just assumed he always was that and then I learned that when he was in his early 20s he wasn't playing basketball he was a car mechanic and I was like how is this giant of a man <laughs> working on cars and then somebody said hey have you ever thought about playing basketball and they brought him out and he ended up making the team and played for the Utah Jazz and became uh, an, an all-star and you know defensive player of the year right and so I was like you know what if a car mechanic can become an NBA all-star, then why can't a pizza delivery guy become a teacher of the year? Mm -hmm. And I got back into education, and I picked myself up, and I, I went back to school, and I got my administrative license because I knew there had to be a different way to run schools. I could make it better, uh -huh. and that's what brought me back to education. Okay. And it was, a, it was a long road, and it was tough, and 2013 was the most difficult year of my life, and for me and my family. But it's also the year that brought us closer together, showed us what was truly important, and helped us find a way that I could get back into education and to help more kids. And that's why I'm here today.
incredible. Thank you for sharing with that. So um, Brad is Brad tells that story as a as a keynote speaker, and if you if you haven't heard about him or um, after hearing about him today, want him in your want him in your school, I would highly encourage you to 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 look him up um, because he's a great person to be around. I get to see him every day. Um, and and I just know that. So um, I've seen him speak, and it's it's truly incredible and truly moving. So, um, Brad, what's your what's your website? Give us your contact. So you can you can get a hold of me at uh, at bradleywskinner.com, and then also bradleywskinner on all social media platforms. Uh, you can also look for uh, Bradley W. Skinner, uh, educational speaker, uh, on Facebook. And uh, let's see how else can I get a hold of me. So yeah, there's <laughs> but pretty much uh, Bradley. It's Brad B R A D L. E E, so two E's, uh, named after my dad. Uh, his name is Lee, and so yeah, Bradley W. Skinner. Just do a search, and you can you can find me. And uh, I would love the opportunity to come and visit with you and your students, and and to share uh, other insights, and most importantly, how to help improve the culture and climate of your school, so that way you don't have good teachers leave. Fantastic. So he's got a number of testimonials on his website. Uh, if you want to read through that, um, he also. Uh, hosts a podcast. What's that podcast called, Brad? A Stark Realization. Um, and I, I love it, but I wish you could. Um, you just really need to go to his website if for no other reason than to to why to find out why he's called Phony Stark. Uh, it's worth <laughs> it's worth the trip to the the website just to find that out. And and it's no fun to to reveal it on a podcast. So go to his website, uh, check him out. He's a great human being. Um, I'm so happy that we got this chance to to talk on Millennial Mythos. Um, thank you all for, for being with us and, and sticking around. That's all we have for you today. I'm Jacob Gantz. Let's talk soon.